a beginning. There is life, and it's wonderful, but persistent. It grows like a weed, and it wriggles into every corner of the world, expanding and changing. And space is limited, so there becomes a need for death. We've all heard it before, right? The necessary evil. The unexplained, unavoidable end to everybody's story. Everybody gets their turn at life, and everybody gets their turn at death. You're all very good at pretending that you accept that, but I know you don't really. It's in your eyes, at funerals, at hospitals, when you watch those soppy documentaries on television. Part of you wonders why we can't just try a world with immortality just to see what happens. Of course, there's a real reason why you can't get that thought out of your head. It's because you're hoping that if you keep thinking it, it will happen and you won't have to die. You'll be the first, the one and only, the miracle. The one to cheat death. But you won't. I'm not trying to sound ominous here. I'm not waiting behind your door with a knife or something. I'm just speaking from a position of authority and clearing away any misconceptions you might have. In the end, it will happen. In the end, it will be your turn. There's billions of different choices being made by people across the world every day, and one of those will, no matter how unknowingly, be the one that guides you towards your final hour. Someone offers you your first cigarette. Someone doesn't check the brakes on their car. Someone passes on their jeans. Anything can happen, and I suppose I'll be waiting for you when it does. And yes, I'm aware that you've had to leave behind your family, and no, I can't change that for you. Boxes have to be ticked. Quotas have to be met. Life has to end, and I have to arrive. Sooner or later. It starts around seven. The snow, that is. Predictably, London grinds to a halt as the ground is dusted with the lightest smattering of the stuff. So much so that I'm twenty minutes late for dinner. Honestly, you would have thought the bus driver was driving across an iceberg the speed he was going. Despite the snow, the restaurant is still packed. Then again, it is a bit of a sanctuary. The combination of candles and radiators and people is enough to raise the temperature significantly, which I'm grateful for when I'm really not dressed for the Arctic winter. Tonight's date night, after all, and Eric has been texting me all day about how much he's looking forward to it. So I sort of felt that jumpers and jeans weren't really going to cut it. He sits across from me, fingers tapping incessantly against the wood. One leg jiggles under the table, causing my cutlery to tinkle softly as they hit against each other, a tiny earthquake. Eric, you're acting like this is our first date. He glances up from his plate of carbonara, eyes wide so I can see every little speck of toffee brown in there. And now you look like you've just been caught pissing in the shower. What's going on? I say, laughing but he doesn't join in. Something is definitely up. Sorry, he replies after a beat of silence. He looks genuinely apologetic. Just got a lot on my mind. 
Anything you want to share? My voice is light, like I'm not bothered, but I've got a slight fluttering of fear in my throat. Things have been great between us for a decent amount of time now, but of course there's the inevitable paranoia that I've just not noticed all the signs, and this is him about to break up with me. I'm already considering how I'll tell my parents without causing a complete shitstorm when I notice that he's speaking again. And you know how much I love spending time with you, Daisy. But I want more. Here it comes. He wants more. So he wants someone else. He wants someone who knows how to have a serious conversation without injecting sarcasm into it every five seconds. Someone who's a proper grown-up. Not one who doesn't really understand how her taxes work. 